is a uh, notable science writer and uh, probably a little bit of a um, theoretical physicist. Uh, he's got lots of uh, theories about lots of different things, but he wrote a book several years ago called Light Years. And in his book, uh, he says this, I want to quote from him. He says, light is at the very heart of our existence. Without a dancing web of photons knitting atoms together, there would be no matter. There would be no universe. Without light-driven photosynthesis producing plant life and oxygen, there would be nothing to breathe and nothing to eat. We are creatures of light, physically and spiritually dependent on this paradoxical phenomenon that is taken for granted yet remains deeply mysterious to us. Now, like I said, Brian Clegg is uh, by no uh, stretch of the imagination would he claim to be a Christian. Uh, he doesn't claim really to be religious at all. But I will say that kind of his study of history has kind of brought him to this idea. There's been this fascination with the subject of life for thousands of of years and that we as humans have kind of innately been drawn to it. We've kind of been attracted to light and it's led some folks even to the spiritual direction to worship light itself. And so in this book, he kind of chronological order uh, kind of goes from the worship of light to the study of light. And he, he comes to all of these different things. But I would say that even though he writes from a very different perspective, uh, that he comes to this very important truth, this very uh, and truthful conclusion that we as humans are both physically independent on light. But for us, uh, this is not something new. We didn't need uh, Brian Cleeg to tell us this because this is something that Jesus was referring to all the way back in the book of John chapter 8, which is where we're going to be this morning. John chapter 8 verse 15, or excuse me, verse 12. Um, and Jesus was telling us our dependence on him as the light of the world. And so we're going to look at John uh, chapter 8 verse 12 this morning. Uh, if you remember, if you were here last week while you're turned there, uh, we started talking about these I am statements of Jesus that Jesus threw Throughout the book of John, he gives uh, seven different statements that he starts with, I am this. And then he gives us some illustration or some picture about himself that reveals something about him, about his identity and who he is and what his mission is. And so last week we were in John chapter 6 and Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And that's why Josh was telling you, I, I kind of gave you that challenge. What comes to mind? What do you picture when you picture God? And most people don't picture bread. Some people may picture light, right? But each one of these statements uh, kind of shows us who he is. And last week kind of revealed his grace and his deity to us, his divinity. And so today we're going to look at a second I am statement in John chapter 8. And we're going to see more of his identity and more of uh, how we can relate to him in this story. So if you've got your Bibles, John chapter 8, we'll start in verse 12. And we'll read down through verse 20. In John chapter 8 verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Even if I, even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, My testimony is valid because I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards, and I judge no one. And if I do judge, my judgment is true, because I am not alone, but I and the Father who sent me judge together. Even in your laws it is written that the witness of two men is valid. I am the one who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Then he asked them, or excuse me, then they asked him, Where is your father? 
You know neither me nor my father, Jesus answered. If you knew me, you would also know my father. And he spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple complex. But no one seized him because his hour had not come. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you for your sufficiency. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. God, we thank you for even waking us up this morning. God, we thank you for the air in our lungs and the food that we have to eat. God, we thank you that you have designed us and created us to be light creatures. Physically dependent on light, but God also because that points us to our spiritual dependence on you, Father. And so, God, I pray that we hear your words clearly this morning. God, I pray that we hear your proclamation to be the light of the world. And God, that it shines through us and in us. And so, God, I pray this morning that we hear these words. And God, these words will meet us where we need to be. God, maybe we need to hear your grace this morning. Maybe we just need a refresher of that this morning. God, maybe we need to dive deeper into your text this morning. And so, God, I pray that your words speak to our hearts. But God, I pray that we are open to hear your words this morning. God, let us be your disciples sitting at your feet, listening to your teachings this morning, Father. And let us be forever changed because of the words that you have spoken, that you are the light of the world, Father. And so I pray that you speak. God, I pray that with all our heart and soul and mind that we listen. And God, I pray that we are transformed because we've been in your presence, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Several of you know me. Uh, you know that uh, I grew up in the great part of Stokes County, um, just north of Winston-Salem. And some of you know that great country. And some of you uh, love to hear sometimes when folks are like, hey, I was in your stomping grounds the other day, or I was bypassing. And some of you have maybe seen it on an exit. If you're going to Virginia, uh, headed up 52, you might have seen an exit for King um, in Stokes County. And that's about the sliver. That's about all the Stokes County experience that you've got. And some of you, that's all the Stokes County experience that you probably want. All right? And I'm completely fine with that. Uh, but something else that you may not know about me, or you may do it, is that I grew up loving to coon hunt, all right? And, and we grew up, we had dogs my entire life. I don't remember a time in my childhood that we didn't have dogs. Now, these were not pets. These were hunting dogs. And so they didn't live inside. They lived outside in the kennel. And so we used them for hunting. <laughs> and I'm getting some, some scowl faces about letting our dogs live outside. But these were hunting dogs. They were trained. They were machines is what we were told. And you couldn't mess with them because if you petted hunting dogs too much, they became pets, and you ruined them, all right? And so this is the way we were taught. And, and some of you know that coon hunting is a little different than some of the other huntings you do. And, and one way it's different is that you do it with dogs. And so you have dogs that run, and they chase the coon. And so you really just kind of let them go, and you wait until they tree the coon, which means the coon has literally ran up a tree, and then they're going to stand at the bottom of that tree and bark and let you know this is where he's at, all right? So that's how it works. Now, the other thing that makes it different, it's one of the few hunting adventures that you do at night, okay? So most of the hunting, um, unless you're doing it illegally, and then Mr. Game Warden here is going to come visit you, uh, but most of the hunting you do is during the day. you got to wait till the sun starts to come up, and then you got to be done by the time the sun goes down. And so when you guys that are those kind of hunters are packing up your stuff, us coon hunters, we're just getting started. Like, we're ready to roll when the sun goes down, right? So this is something that you do in the dark. It's something that you kind of love, you either love to do it or you hate to do it and and as a kid I loved to do it and my dad would love to have us out in the woods and he'd love to have us out in the woods all the time right and so we just grew up this way and this is what we love to do 
And so when we got a little older, we had some friends over. And so my brother was 16, and uh, we decided that we were, had some friends over, and they wanted to go hunting. And so we were all going to go hunting. But for some reason, this day, Dad couldn't go with us. Either he got hung up, or he couldn't, he couldn't make it. He had something else to do. And so Dad wasn't going to be able to go with us this time. And we're like, this is, that's no problem. Like, we've been doing this for our whole lives. Like, surely we've got this figured out. We load the dogs up. We take them to the spot. We let them go. And, and we can figure this out, right? And so that's what we did. My brother's 16. I was about 14 at the time. And, and we had these friends that were with us. And, and so we load the dogs up. We took them to the hunting spot. We let them loose. And we let them loose in this spot that we've hunted hundreds of times, right? So we knew this area pretty good. Right? Except when the dogs treed, we, so you just kind of sit there. When the dogs treed, then you kind of go straight to where they're at. And that's what we did. So here's me and my brother and a couple other guys. We just took off through the woods straight to where we're at. And then we get to the tree, and there's all the excitement because you've got to find the coon up in the tree. And, and so we did all that. And, and you carry these lights with you. And so we, we honestly, have you ever seen pictures of old coal miners? That's the kind of lights we had, like this huge battery pack on your side, and then this, like, this helmet that come up on your head and had this light on there. So we had that light with us, right? And, and that's how we found our way through the woods. And then we got to the tree, and all of a sudden we're just kind of standing in the tree, and we find the coon. We're all excited about it, and we're like, all right, now let's go to another hunting spot. But to go to another hunting spot, you got to get back to your truck, right? And then we just started kind of looking around. And as we looked around, what we saw were trees, trees, more trees, and more trees. And I don't know if you've ever been in the woods, especially in the woods at night. Those trees really start to look alike in the middle of the night. Okay, It's really kind of hard to distinguish. And some of you are very good at distinction types and trees and, and all that stuff. And, and what we forgot was that our dad was the important one in this program. Because every time, and I remember this once we were there at the tree, right? And I didn't think about this beforehand, but every time we would go to get the dogs from where they were treating our dad was with, his dad would reach in his pocket and he'd pull out a compass. And he would set that compass to this is where the dogs are at, and so this is the direction we're going to walk. And so when we're at the tree and you got turned around because you've circled the tree 15 times, then dad would pull out his compass and we'd follow that compass backwards. Like I told you at the start of the story, dad wasn't with us. So guess who had the compass? Nobody, right? We forgot about that important aspect. And so here, me and my brother and these friends that we invited over, we're all excited about hunting. And also we found ourselves in the middle of the woods with lights on, but yet still not knowing where to go. We still didn't have a direction because if we went this way, did we go that way? And so we decided to do what every teenage boy probably in the middle of the woods is going to do in the middle of the night. We think it's this way. And so then we just started walking, and we just kept walking, and we kept walking, and we kept walking. We're like, we should be at the truck by now, if this is the way that we were going, all right? If this is where the truck was at, if not the truck, then we at least should have crossed the dirt road that we drove into to get here, right? And so then we're like, all right, so maybe it's that way. And so then we took a hard left, and we decided we'd go that way, right? And eventually what we found was we came almost exactly back to the same creek that we crossed in the first place. We're like, wait a second. We know this creek. We've been here before. And so what we begin to realize is we really were doing exactly what they tell you you will do in the middle of the woods in the middle of the night. We really were walking in circles, aimlessly kind of wandering around with no direction and no way out of these woods. And so we were, this is back before you had cell phones and all those things. And so we're like, what are we going to do? Like, not only are we lost, but now we got these friends who absolutely know nothing about where we're at. And like, we don't know how to get out of here, right? And then in our teenage wisdom, we remembered that we live in Stokes County. 
And not just in anywhere in Stokes County. We live at kind of the base of Sartown Mountain. Now, some of you have never heard of Sartown Mountain, and that's completely fine. But Sartown Mountain is known for its radio towers, right? And so on top of, these, on top of this mountain are these massive 100-foot, I don't even know how tall they are. They're just these massive towers that have these lights on them. And they blink red, right? And so there's about five, maybe six, maybe more towers than that. And these things are massive. And you can see these things from miles and miles and miles away, right? In fact, even like in Winston, you can see these towers. And if you're on top of the mountain, you can see Winston. But anyway, like, so we're in the woods and we start to look like, wait a second. We know where those towers are at, right? We, we know those are north. And we know like, that is somewhat the direction we need to be headed. So instead of aimlessly walking around in this circle, we're going to head towards those towers. And eventually in walking towards those towers, we're either going to get back to where we need to or we're going to get back to at least a road or something that we can fix, we can figure out where we're at, right? And so all of a sudden for us, this tower that had these red blinking lights on it became our guide. Because now we knew instead of walking in a circle, we were going to have a direction. We are going to walk straight to that set of lights, straight to that tall tower. Now, we weren't going to reach the tower, but we were going to walk towards it. And all of a sudden, this light became very important to us because this blinking red light on top of this tower was our guide out of darkness. It was our guide out of the woods that we had found ourselves kind of trapped in. And so we found that, that if we were just focused and we just stayed on the course, but we kept going towards that light, then eventually we were going to find what we needed to find, or at least a way out of these woods. And what we found was this light was our guide out of darkness. And this is the beautiful point that Jesus is making here in, in this statement that he makes in verse 12. And verse 12 is so packed. It's such a beautiful verse and such a, a powerful declaration of what Jesus is and who Jesus is. And so in verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them again. And he says, I am the light of the world. And anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Right? Now, like I said, there's so much in this one verse. There's so much in this one statement. We're going to spend most of our time in this one verse kind of pulling it apart and looking at different aspects of it. But I want you to understand that sometimes when we read Scripture, if we're not careful, we pick out one verse and we forget that that verse kind of fits in a context of it, right? Because there's a reason that Jesus makes this statement when he does, right? And Jesus doesn't just stand up and say, I am the light of the world, right? There's a reason that he does it, and there's a reason that he does it at this time. You see, when Jesus makes this statement, the, 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 he does this during what they call the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, right? And this is an annual uh, festival for the Jewish people, and it's one of their three um, kind of high religious days, right? And in fact, in fact, it's almost a week's work, right? And so this is a celebration that, um, kind of like um, Passover, that they all travel to Jerusalem for. Right? And so the city of Jerusalem would have been packed in this time. And so the celebration they have, it lasts kind of all week long for seven days. But the reason they're celebrating is because they're celebrating God's guidance and His provision while they were wandering through the wilderness. And many of you are familiar with this story. That the, the people of Israel uh, were slaves. They were enslaved in the lands of Egypt. And so God works through the plagues and through Pharaoh. And He finally gets them released from their bondage, from the darkness they were in, from this place that they had no hope, there was nothing to look forward to. Each day they got up and their job was to make bricks. And the next day they got up and make bricks. And guess what the next generation is going to do? You're going to get up and you're going to make bricks. And so there was no future. There was nothing to look forward to because all you were were enslaved to the ones who were oppressing you. You were enslaved to what held you there. And you had no choices and you had no options. 
And then God works and he says, hey, listen, these are my people and I promise to bring them out of this because I've promised them this other territory. I've promised them this other land from their ancestors. And so in the book of Exodus, God takes them and he allows them to be released. He orchestrates this release from slavery. And then they've got to go from where they were at, from this place of darkness and oppression to the promised land. Now, Kind of like me and my brother, they didn't have compasses back then. They didn't have a GPS back then. They didn't know exactly how to get to where they got, but they didn't have to. Because this is where the feast and the celebration comes in. Because they had God to guide them to exactly where they wanted to go. In fact, he tells them um, in the book of Exodus, chapter 13, verses 21 and 22, that he's going to guide them. And he's going to do this by light. Right? And so in Exodus 13, verse 21 and 22... Jesus went ahead, or the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on the way during the day. And get this, and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night. So they could travel day or night. Verse 22, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its, pres- or its place in front of them. Right? So day and night, they have this physical guide who's going to lead them out of the darkness of Egypt. They have this physical presence of God being there. Right? They knew exactly where God was at, and they knew exactly where God was leading them. He's going to guide them out of this darkness they've been in. He's going to guide them around the darkness or, or by the darkness that's around them. And so he's going to do this day in and day out. And so by day, there's this cloud. But even when darkness starts to close in on them, He has this pillar of fire, and they can travel day and night. It allows them to escape Egypt faster, allows them to get out of Egypt faster. And so this is their guide, and this is what they do. And so they they are not engulfed by the darkness. He provides the light that would guide them out of the darkness. And so that's all in the book of Exodus. And so for every year after that, they have this festival or this feast of the tabernacles, this feast of the boots, or sometimes it's the feast of the tents. Right? So every year for a week, they gather in Jerusalem to remember God guiding them out of darkness. Right? Now, they've already had the celebration of the Passover, right, which is the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. But this is a different celebration. This is strictly, we're going to celebrate God's guiding us. We're going to celebrate this light that He gave us to bring us out of darkness and into the promised land, to bring us from one place that is deep and dark and desperate and despair, and there's no hope, to a place where everything is exactly as it should be. And God guides us through the light to do that. And we're going to have this celebration. And so biggest part of their celebration was that the temple complex, and so Jesus is, is saying this, in the temple complex. And it's this massive complex. Uh, it's about 14 acres, so a little more than all the land we have here. And one of the things they did during this celebration, they put these huge candelabras, these huge candle holders, all throughout the tabernacle, all throughout the temple, right? Everywhere, massive amounts of candles everywhere. And as the sun started to go down, they started to light these candles, right? And so there were so many of them throughout the whole temple, uh, throughout the court of the whole temple, that the temple really did glow. It really kind of illuminated. Now, you've got to understand that we take this for granted, right? We take light for granted so often, Right? This was before street lights. This was before people had electricity. This was before you walked downtown Cleveland in the middle of the night and it looked like a runway. Okay? This is before any of that. So I want you to imagine this massive 14-acre property lit up so that you could literally see it for miles. It already set on top of a hillside. And there were so many candles that it literally kind of glowed in the dark. So for miles and miles away, people could look towards Jerusalem and shining even in the middle of the night was the temple. This was God's 
presence. This was God's dwelling place. Right? So picture all that. This is a beautiful picture of all these candles and all these lights. And for miles away, people could be drawn to this light. And then Jesus steps into that celebration. In the middle of that celebration, what is his statement? I am the light of the world. What's he telling us? He's telling us that this light that came from heaven to guide you out of darkness and into this new place, I'm it. This, if you're looking for something to, to not just remember what God's done in the past, but to bring you into a place of promise, to bring you into a place of rest, to bring you into a place where there is hope and contentment and joy, then I am that light. If you're looking for a way that's going to guide you to this, this out of darkness, if you're looking for a place that's going to guide you into to hope, into prosperity, into all of these things, you need to understand if you're going to get out of the bondage of slavery, I'm the way to do that. I am the light. And so in the midst of this celebration, this beautiful moment, to remember God's light guiding them out of darkness Jesus stands up and he says listen I'm what you're looking for that your life is full of darkness and full of despair and the only way out of this bondage of both physical slavery and spiritual slavery I am it I am the light that God has sent I am the light that's going to bring you out of the darkness and Paul picks up on this in the letter of Colossians he kind of uses this same image in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 And Paul writes this, he says that he, being Jesus, has rescued us from the domain or the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. We have redemption, or excuse me, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in him. Jesus is saying that I am the light that delivers or rescues you from the kingdom of darkness, from this kingdom where you are enslaved to sin, where you're held captive to these unfulfilled desires, and where there is no hope, there's no joy, there's no contentment, this place that you have nothing to look forward to. If you want something to get out of that, if you want a, something to see your way through that, I am the one to do that. And through His death on the cross, He provides this light for us. He is the transfer, the one that guides us out of this darkness, and the one that guides us into this kingdom of this promise, this place of hope. We started talking um, in our Wednesday night class about how people, uh, kind of the Holy Spirit kind of uses people and prompts people and brings them to certain conversations and one of the things we talked about on our Wednesday night Bible study was that when people start talking about um, how disappointed in life they are, when they start talking about how kind of uh, disenfranchised or how life is just not kind of lined up like they thought they were, it's really an invitation for us to speak life into them. It's really an invitation to share with them what God has done for us. And so what he's telling you is that, listen, for anybody who's sitting here this morning and life is not what you thought it was going to be, anybody sitting here this morning and you find yourself waking up and you're just dreading today and you're dreading tomorrow and you're just not content with anything and you're just, there's no hope and there's no joy, listen to the words of Jesus. I am the light of the world. And through my death, I will bring you from a domain of darkness, from a kingdom of darkness, to the domain of light and to the domain of life. I am the one who can fulfill your desires. I am the one who can bring you to a place that is filled with light and life. I am the one who can bring you to a place of hope. I am the one who can bring you to a kingdom where there's joy and there's not just temporary satisfaction, but there's enduring satisfaction. I am the kingdom of the sun and the sun is in me. And we have this kingdom of light and kingdom of life and he invites us to be part of that 
And so I want you to hear me clearly this morning. If there's any of you sitting in this room or any of you watching online that you're just so discontent in this life, it may be because the darkness has surrounded you and you just haven't looked up to see the light that God's provided. And so He gives us this opportunity and He gives us this invitation and He allows us to follow Him because He's going to provide the light that guides out of darkness, but He offers us this invitation to follow Him. I want you to look back with me in verse 12. And I told you we're going to spend a lot of our time there. But in verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And get this, anyone who follows me. And there's the invitation right there. If anyone will follow me. And so there is this choice. There's this option that we have. We're not forced to follow the light. We're given a choice to follow the light. And he says, listen, there's going to be this light. I am this light. Then I'm going to move from darkness to light. But you get a choice. Anyone who follows me. Which means there's going to be some... Who will not follow. And the ones who do not follow. Do not follow by their choice. And so we have this invitation. We're not forced to follow. We're given this option. This invitation to join him. To follow him. As he guides us out of darkness. And the words that Jesus used here. This word for follow is. He uses it multiple times. And it it does mean to to literally pursue. Physically pursue after someone. It means to, to physically come after someone else. Right? Just like you would think of following anything else. Follow the leader when you were a kid. Right? What would you do? You physically followed the person in front of you. It was a great game. Right? At least for the adults. Right? Because they told you to follow the leader and you just did it. And you thought it was the most awesome thing ever. This is the invitation that Jesus gives. Follow me. Physically come after me. But I want to share with you that this word is more than just a physical following in the footsteps of someone. This word literally means to align ourselves with someone or to follow after someone as they are a teacher. So this is a picture that he's giving us. This is what it looks like to be a disciple. And what he's telling us is if you will follow me, which means yes, you will physically come after me, but also you will walk behind me and you will listen to the words that I have, the instructions that I give you. Right? And this is how school worked. Right? Not elementary school, but as they got older, this is how professors taught. They didn't sit in a big classroom with a big auditorium and give speeches. They literally walked through town. And if you were a disciple of that teacher, if you were a disciple of that rabbi, if you were a student of that rabbi, then you followed him. And so when he got up and he walked, you walked behind him. And he walked and he talked and he taught you life lessons along the way. And for many of us, this is a picture of someone who's spiritually older than us. And they have walked through life and we're like, listen, there's so much wisdom in what they have to say. We want to be right on their heels and we want to hear everything they have to say. This is the invitation that Jesus is giving us in this verse. Come after me. Follow after me. He says, but I don't just physically want you to be in a space with me. I want you to be actively engaged with me. Be my disciple. Come and learn from the wisdom that I have. And so there's two things that we need to understand if we're going to accept this invitation, not just to follow him, but to be his disciple, to become his students. And the first thing that we have to realize about this invitation, and we figure this out by the tense of the verb. You see, the tense of the verb follow, it's an active present verb. Right? It's active, meaning it's not passive. It's active meaning that it requires action on your part. This is not a passive thing. I don't know if you've ever known that or thought about that. You cannot passively walk. Right? Passively means that you don't have to put any effort to it. It's something that someone does to you. You cannot passively walk. You can passively sit. You can passively lie down. You can passively do nothing. 
but you cannot passively walk. Right? To walk means there's effort on your part. It's requiring you to do something. And so he's telling you that this is an active thing. I'm actively inviting you to be active with me. Follow after me. And this is active. And it's going to take work on your part. But it's not just active. It's active present, which means it's an ongoing active process. Right? And that, that, that you have to not only do something, but you have to continually to do something. That, that means if we're going to continually follow Him, it means day in and day out we are following Him, we're pursuing after Him, we're walking right behind Him, and we're listening to every word that He has to say each and every day. We're taking in the words that He shares with us. And, and listen, we don't follow Him until we reach a certain point and then we sit down. Because then we become passive and not actively following Him. And so for some of us, we kind of bought this line. We, we listened to folks and we saw kind of what a Christian life we thought looked like. And what it looked like for some people in front of us was they followed Him until they reached a certain point. And they decided they were done. And they just sat down. And for some folks, it was, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to walk down an aisle. And I'm going to talk to a pastor. And I'm going to get up there and I'm going to get baptized. And then I'm sealed. I'm set. I'm ready to go. That's not the invitation. The invitation isn't to get wet in a bathtub full of water. The invitation isn't to tell everybody that you became something new when it didn't do it for you. The invitation is to actively, every day, be this follower of Christ. To actively, every day, be pursuing Him. To actively, every day, take in the words that He has for us. This wisdom and strength and power that He has for us. To actively be on His heels. Let me ask you, does that describe you as a Christian? Are you actively pursuing Him each and every day? And for some of us, it wasn't just baptism, but for some of us, we just kind of aged out of it. We kind of followed Jesus when we were kids because our parents brought us to church or maybe dropped us off at church. And, and then maybe we followed Him as a teenager because we had this thing called youth group and, and we could follow Him through that. And then we had to go to big church. Right? I don't know if you called it that when you were kids, but we had to go to big church. Right? And big church is this. And we're like, oh, this isn't fun. Like, we don't play games in big church. We're, we don't bring out the beach balls in big church. And we're not putting the little popsicles and the crafts together in big church. And suddenly you're like, oh, all right, I'll just, I'll just sit over here on the sidelines. And we aged out of this idea of actively pursuing Him. Can I share with you that Wednesday nights we have this beautiful program called Awana and our kids are actively pursuing Him because they're memorizing verses. They're, they're following in His footsteps and they're taking in His Word. And at some point in our lives, we as adults, I'm going to be honest with you, we're guilty of this unless you're, you're better than I am. We're guilty. You know what? We did that as kids. Then we're like, ah, it's good. I'm good. When was the last time you followed Him so closely that you memorized the words that He spoke? Your kids are doing it. Your grandkids are doing it. When was the last time you did it? Can I share something with you as a parent and a grandparent? The only way that we're ever going to lead our kids to follow Christ is if we're on His footsteps ourselves. If we're in front of them and we're saying, hey, come on, this is the way. Follow me because I'm following Him and I'm going to show you. You can walk in my footsteps because I'm walking in His. But see what so many of us did? is We saw Jesus and we sat down. And we're trying to lead our kids and we're trying to lead this next generation. We're trying to lead this culture around us to this Jesus that we're not even following ourselves. And we're looking down the road and he's getting further and further and further from us. And what are we doing? He's that way. If you want to see Jesus, 
He went that way. And we're trying to lead folks to a Jesus that we're not even following ourselves. You see, the invitation to follow Him is not to sit down and be passive or sit on the sidelines or point other people to Him. Is that you yourselves are personally on His heels. That you yourselves are behind Him each and every day. That you are actively pursuing Him for yourself. See, there's a second thing you need to know about this invitation and it's not just that it's active, and it's not just that it's present, but it's also, it's not easy. It's going to require you to do hard things. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus makes this very clear when He asks about being a disciple. And He's talking to His disciples and His followers. And He says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, He says, If anyone wants to come with Me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. Can I share with you one of the biggest obstacles that we face in following Jesus? Most of the time, it's ourselves. Most of us can't deny ourselves and we can't get over ourselves, meaning that we can't get over the fact that there's something that we cannot do and we cannot fix for ourselves. You see, when he says that I am the light of the world and if you follow me, it means we align ourselves with him and it means that we have to give up our desires and our ambitions and our attempts to to make our own way through the darkness. And for some of us, that's the denying ourselves that we have such a hard time doing because we are like I was as a teenage boy in the middle of the woods. I've got what I need and I'm just going to make it on my own. I don't need the compass. I don't need the light out there. I'm just going to make it on my own. And what it's left us doing is wandering around in the darkness, stumbling around trying to find nothing but disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And the invitation of Christ is give it up. You're never going to do this on your own. Deny your pride. Deny your attempts to do this on your own. Deny your abilities and deny the fact that you can't make a path on your own. Deny the fact and give up yourself and follow the path that He set before us. You see, we cannot actively follow Him and think that we can make our own path. We cannot actively follow Him and say, hey, I've got a better way out of darkness than what you're showing me. You see, to accept His invitation means that we abandon ourselves and we abandon our efforts and we're solely dependent on Him His mercy and His grace to lead us out of darkness, to transfer us into the kingdom of light. And we're never going to do it on our own. If we're going to follow Him, it means we have to be willing to give up our own efforts to do it. See, that's the invitation. The invitation is to follow Him, actively pursue Him, and stop trying to do it on your own, but let Him be the light. And you simply follow in His footsteps. And see, we have to depend on Him as the light because He is the one that reveals truth to us. I read a story uh, several years ago about a, a guy who uh, was going to cave exploring with some friends of his. Right? If you've ever been exploring in caves, they're, they're kind of neat, they're kind of fun, and I kind of like to do it sometimes myself. And, and so they had their lights, and they got to a point in the cave, kind of deep in the cave, where it kind of split off. And if you've ever been in those, sometimes you can split off and those kind of tunnels will meet back at a certain point. And so what they did see it was they decided these group of friends are going this way and this group of friends are going this way. And we're going to see if we meet back up on the other side. At some point, we're just going to keep going and we're going to see if we meet back up on the other side. Well, then him and his friend that was with him who went to the right, they reached another fork in the road. And they decided, we're going to do the same thing. You go that way and I'm going to go this way. And we're going to see if we meet up again, or we're going to see if we meet up with the other guys somewhere on the other side of this tunnel. right? And so this guy who writes this story, he's walking in this tunnel, and now he's completely by himself. He's splitting off from the rest of the group, and uh, he's completely by himself. And as he's deep, dark in this tunnel, his flashlight goes out. 
And he's found himself deep in this tunnel where there is no light in there. And the only way that he can know where he's going or what's in front of him is he's simply putting his hands on the walls. And so he's putting his hands on the walls and he's feeling, if you've ever been into a cave, you know they're cold and they're dark and those walls are hard. And that's what he's doing, right? And so then as he's doing this, he's kind of feeling his way through, the, through this tunnel he, or this cave, he suddenly feels something that's not cold and it's not hard. He feels something that's kind of soft. And something that's texturally very different. It's warm. And he was like, oh, this must be my friend. And we finally met each other, right? We, we finally met up with each other. And so I'm just going to fix my flashlight real quick. And so as he sits down, he's talking to his friend. And he's trying to fix his flashlight. And he takes some extra batteries out. And he puts those in his flashlight. And he's still talking to his friend. And as he's doing this, he begins to realize his friend is not answering him back. And then he begins to get a little concerned because he has no light and... He's felt something that feels different and it's not talking back to him like he thought his friend would do for him. And all of a sudden he gets the flashlight lit and he turns and instead of his friend, he finds that what he has found in the deep dark reality of this cave is a hibernating bear. You see, light reveals truth in a way that our own emotions and our own feelings can never reveal that. You see, what he found was it wasn't until he saw what it was that he could see it with his eyes, that he felt the light, he saw the light, that he realized this was not my friend at all. And I'm going to quickly leave this space before I wake up Mr. Sleeping Bear here and I find myself on the other side of him instead of on the side that I can get out of. You see, when Jesus makes this proclamation that he is the light of the world, it's like every other I am statement. It reveals a great characteristic about him that he is more than just a human. And so when he says that, the religious leaders of his day, they don't like it. And so every time he makes one of these statements, it's usually followed up by some conflict between him and the religious leaders of his day. And so the religious leaders, they begin to question him. They begin to kind of argue with him. And they begin to kind of say, hey, this isn't right. You're claiming to be something that you're not. You're claiming to be something that, that more than just an inspired human being. In fact, if you even said, hey, I feel like a prophet. I feel important. No, you're not even that. But they, they might would have been all right. But what he's claiming to be more than that, he's claiming to be sent from heaven. They start to question. They start to argue. They really try to discredit him before he can kind of go on. They, they kind of try to make him uh, back up his claims. They're like, listen, you, you made this claim that you're something that you're not. And you really, I need to tell you that we can't take you at your word. And so what you're telling us isn't valid because there's nobody that's going to back this up. And so that's the conversation they have of, listen, you have no witnesses to this. And so we can't just take you at your word that you are who you say you are because there's no validation to it. There's no witnesses that will back this up. And so then in verses 14 through 16, Jesus responds back to them. In verse 14, he says that even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is valid. Because I know where I came from and where I am going. But you don't know where I come from or where I am going. Right? Now I want you to notice verse 15. You judge by human standards and I judge no one. Verse 16. And if I do judge, my judgment is true. Because I am not alone, but I and the Father who sent me judge Together, You see, the Pharisees can only judge what they see and what they know. The guy in that cave could only judge that something that wasn't cold and hard, something that was soft and, and felt a little warmer, he could only judge that. And then when he saw it, 
His judgment changed. You can only judge on what you know and what you see. And for the Pharisees, they can only judge from the outside. This is the human standard that he talks about in verse 15, that that we only judge from the outside. And he says, listen, the reason you can't judge me, the reason you don't understand my testimony, is because you're only judging what you see physically on the outside. And then he goes on, he says, I don't judge that way. You see, not only is the lie of the world, but he's this penetrating line that when he does judge, it's from the inside perspective that Jesus judges the heart of someone. He sees beyond the outside. He sees beyond the veneer that we put on. He sees the very heart and soul of the person. And this morning, he's the one who knows the truth of your heart. And so there are some of you that came in this morning. There's some of you that are watching online this morning that for everybody around you, it looks like you have it all together. And you got up and, and you got your perfect family together and you got everything and your kids are dressed nice and your kids are, are dressed and, and you rode to church and, and then when you walk through those doors, you put on your church face. And you walked in and you, somebody asked you how you were doing. You're like, I'm great. I'm so blessed. I just can't even contain it anymore. And you walked in, you sat down and you're just holding on to this veneer. And then you're going to get up and walk out of here in just a few moments. And some of you are going to go get in a vehicle. And you're not going to speak to your wife or your husband for the rest of the day because you fought the whole way here. But you wouldn't know that from the outside. For some of you, you're going to go and there's going to be the struggle that none of us sitting in this room know about because we only see you in this moment and we only know the struggles that you show us. But the light of the world sees the struggles on the inside. For some of you, you walked in here and there's something in your past or something in your life that you have kept this deep, dark, hidden secret and you think that nobody around you knows it. And you may have every one of us full. We may not know what you were doing last night or what you did three days ago or what you did ten years ago. We may not know that. But the light of the world does. You see, light dispels the darkness that we think we can hide in. Light knows the struggles that are deep in our hearts. And so when Christ tells us that He can judge the heart, it means He knows. He judges with the one who knows our hearts. And so if there are struggles that we have hidden from everybody else, He knows them. If there's sins in our lives that we think we've hidden from everybody else, He knows them. And so the judgment that we need to be worried about this morning are not the people that are around us. It's the one that should be living inside of us. That's the judgment we should be concerned about. He is the one who reveals truth and the truth of our heart. But there's one final thing that I want to share with you about Jesus that He reveals about Himself uh, in this verse. Again, going back to verse 12. That He's unlike any other light. And the fact that His light, or He as a light, will never go out. I should go back to verse 12 with me. and This is the last time we'll come back to that verse, I promise. But in verse 12, He spoke, I am the light of the world, and anyone who follows Me will never walk in darkness. Now, if you have a different translation, it may not say never walk in darkness. It just says or will not walk in darkness. But the tense of that verb is simply that. It is simply implied the never again. That from this moment, all eternity forward will be like this moment. Right? There is never anything different from eternity on from this moment here. Right? So if we choose to follow Him, then we never walk in darkness again. That this moment on, from all eternity, it doesn't change. And if we're going to follow Jesus, then we never walk in darkness. I told you that Jesus makes this claim about being the light of the world in the, in the uh, feast of the, the tabernacles. And so I told you there were all these candles that were throughout the temple. And I want you to understand that when you have that many candles, candles are dependent on on the weather conditions around them. 
And so if there's a day like today, and I don't know if they have days like today in Jerusalem or not, but if there was a day like today where it's rainy and dreary, those candles are a whole lot harder to keep lit, but somebody's job was to keep them lit. If it was windy like it was a couple days ago, somebody's job is to go through and make sure those candles stay lit. And so understand the difference between those lights that are lighting up that temple and the light that Jesus says that will never walk in darkness because those lights are dependent on us. Those lights were dependent on someone continually going to check on them. If a candle went out, somebody had to go relight that flame. Somebody had to cut that wing. Somebody had to relight that thing. And in the morning time, somebody had to go and put all of those out just to relight them the next night for those seven days. And Jesus tells us in this passage, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you will never walk in darkness. And what he's telling us in this passage is that your continual salvation, once you follow him, it doesn't depend on you. It's not dependent on you continually going to those candles and relighting those candles. And if the winds change and suddenly all of those candles blew out, Jesus says, listen, that's not going to happen to me. Those candles are never going to be blown out. I'm never going to change. Right? I'm never going to be different than I am right now. And so he's telling us not only his divinity that he's never going to change, he's going to exist for all eternity, but he's also telling us his immu- immutability, that he's never going to change. And so regardless of what the weather does, he is always going to be the light. Regardless of what culture around us does or accepts or changes, He never does. The conditions, the circumstances of your life, they may change in the next 10 minutes. Something drastic may change your life in the next 10 minutes. But you know what doesn't change? Your hope in His light. You see, there's this promise that our continued salvation doesn't depend on us. That it keeps the light on and it never goes out. Listen, for some of us, we need to hear this this morning because there's never going to be a day in your life that you wake up and have to worry, does Jesus still love me today? And even though we followed Him and maybe we fell away from Him, maybe we weren't following as close and maybe we did something terrible, you're never going to have to wake up and be like, hey, I really, I'm not sure the light of the world is still for me. Because His words are that you will never walk in darkness again. You will never walk in darkness. He never changes. And it's a promise for all of eternity. And so he's telling you about he's eternal, but he's also telling you that he's never going to change. And so I want you to hear the hope and the comfort this morning. That when you woke up this morning and it was dark and dreary and you didn't want to get out of bed and all those struggles that nobody else knows about, this is as bad as it's ever going to be for you. That today is going to be the worst that it's ever going to be for us because He is guiding us into this promised land where everything is set and everything is perfect and everything is restored back to like it was before we messed it up, before we allowed sin to enter this world. He's guiding us out of this darkness of oppression. And so from this moment on, it's only going to get better for us. You're like, Michael, uh uh-uh. I've read the stories. I see the world around us. This is a dark world. But listen, we are not citizens of this world because we're transferred to the kingdoms of the Son who is light and is life. And so listen, all we have is this eternal future, this promise of hope and endurance, this promise of eternal satisfaction. And so this is all the darkness that we are ever going to see. This is as dark as it will ever be for us. I want to leave you with one final thought. Several years ago, there was an article um, in Newsweek magazine that featured, uh, it was titled, The Fall of the Dinosaurs. And it was kind of a, a, 
economic kind of uh, article that kind of explored the downfall of, of these giant corporations like General Motors, IBM, and Sears, and, and how these giant corporations got so big and then they collapsed. And, and there's an opening line, there's, a, there's something tucked away in the, the kind of introduction of that article that reads this. It says, The institutions of family, church, and government have long since lost their luster. And he says, listen, there used to be things that attracted us to to family and to church and to government. There used to be things that attracted us to those things. We used to kind of be drawn to them. But over the years, those things have kind of lost their shine. They've kind of lost their luster. We're not attracted to them like we once were. And so he kind of leads that into this is what kind of failed these companies. They were these companies that had this luster and they kind of faded away. But I want to leave you with this idea that, that the luster, whether it was perceived or real, the answer is probably true. That our churches have lost their luster. And the reason they've kind of lost the luster is because we lost the focus. And the focus should really be something that happened in Russia. In Russia, we don't talk about them a lot, but here's a historical lesson for you. In 1993, the Russians developed this space program. Uh, and, and it was February of 1993, the Flight Control Center near Moscow, or Moscow uh, had successfully deployed what they call a space reflector. It's this aluminum-covered disc that the cosmonauts in space, uh, space station, uh, they reflected the sun's light to the dark side of the earth, right? So the sun's on this side, here's the earth, it's night on this side. And so what they were able to do, they were able to take this metal disc and reflect the sun's light back on the earth. On the, so it was, should be nighttime, and they were able to reflect the sun's light back on the nighttime. Right? And so this 25-foot disc in space was able to produce about a two-mile circle of light on earth. So 25-foot produced a two-mile circle on earth because it reflected the sun's light. And such a move placed the Russians at the forefront of what we now know as reflective technology. And so the, the guy who's writing this article, he says that if the church has lost its luster... It may be to our feeble attempts to produce light rather than to reflect the light. It may be due to the fact that we've joined the world in Hollywood and professional sports and athletes that cry out, look at me, when really our cry should be, look at him. You see, we'd have a much greater impact if we started being better mirrors of the sun instead of trying to shine our own light in the world. You see, the invitation this morning is really twofold. The invitation is for some of you to step out of darkness and to start following the light. To step out of darkness and despair and come to a place where there is hope and there is joy and there is contentment and satisfaction. And for some of you, that's the invitation you need this morning. But for the rest of us, the invitation we need is to stop trying to shine our own light. Instead, reflect the light that is Him to everyone who's around us. Let's pray together. Father, we